0: The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org.
1: Good morning. The scripture verses this morning are from Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 5 through the end of the chapter, verse 31. If you'd turn in your Bibles, please, to Exodus chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one near you in the pew in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, please feel free after this service to go to the info table in the gallery, and you can receive a Bible from Park Church as a gift. Exodus chapter 14, verse 5. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped by the sea by Paharioth in front of Baalzephon. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt. And the host of Israel and there was the cloud and the darkness and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove back the sea drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord, in the pillar of fire and of cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces. And threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And on their left thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in and in his servant Moses this is the word of the Lord
0: Good morning. How are y'all doing? My name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here looking forward to getting into the Word of God with you. Before we do, um, I want to kind of give a quick heads up. Uh, this sermon this morning is going to have a lot of spoilers for Avengers Endgame. Um, no, I'm not kidding. <laughs> it's not. It's not. <laughs> Everybody's like, what? I'm out of here. <laughs> you know? uh, no, but I was talking to somebody earlier Uh, I was talking to somebody that was like, you know, I was thinking about just dropping my kids off at Park Kids for the 9 a.m. and the 11 a.m. and going to watch Avengers. Uh, That was my wife, actually. Uh, So, it's my wife. I think she was joking. Pretty sure. Uh, No, we're excited to get into this passage together with you all. Um, There is so much to be seen of God's salvation in this passage, of the power of Christ. And we need his his presence and his power to see his glory in the passage. So we're going to take a moment and pray um, and spend some time in God's word together. Um, Also, though, if you're new to Park Church, we're really grateful you're here. Really grateful. It's a courageous thing to walk into a new community that's maybe a little bit foreign or maybe Christianity's new to you. So to walk into a place like this takes a step of courage. Uh, We're thankful that you're here and we'd love to get to know you. Um, Right after the service down this hallway over here, there's a room marked introductions. Uh, We take time after every service to create some space to get to know folks that are newer to church, newer to Park Church, um, get to know you, but also help you get to know who we are, what we're about, what God's called us to, the mission he's given us as a family here in Denver, uh, and give you some steps to getting plugged in. So if if that would be helpful for you, right down this hallway, there's that room marked introductions right after the service. Uh, We'd love to get to know you there. Um, Let's take a moment and slow our hearts down before the God of the universe and ask for his help today Father we thank you we thank you that you would be with us that you wouldn't leave us in our rebellion where our hearts are fickle and wandering and frail where our doubts sometimes just creep in uh, and we turn yet again away from you Thank you for your faithful presence, that you would continue to pursue us with your love and with your power and with your nearness. We're praying, Holy Spirit, that you would do powerful things in us today. Uh, There are people in this room that have never known you, that are continuing in this sort of uh, relentless pursuit of building their own life apart from you. Maybe it's failing, maybe it's falling apart, maybe they're blind to the destruction that's happening in their own soul or maybe even around them. God, would you open up eyes this morning? to see your grace, your power, your love, uh, that Jesus is the way to life. Jesus is the path. Um, Jesus is life. And so I pray you'd awaken people to that beautiful, beautiful reality this morning. And for your children, as we continue to learn what it means to follow you and we continue to wander away from you, um, we thank you for putting these, these walls, these barriers in our life that remind us of our dependence on your power. Would you... This morning, would you redeem people? Would you rescue people from the bondage that comes when we continue to turn away from you? Would you set people free and lead us into your life? Pray you do powerful things, not just in us this morning, but as you work in us, that that power would, would be worked through us in this city for your glory, for your kingdom's sake, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. I, I want you to consider the possibility that your mom lied to you. Your mom lied to you. Maybe, maybe. If your mom said to you, if your parents said to you, you can do anything you set your mind to, I want you to consider whether or not she might have been lying to you. You know, it's actually Benjamin Franklin that said that first, and that sort of like motto, and some versions of that motto have made their way around society and have kind of permeated the sort of air that we breathe as, as Christians or people in this society, in this age, And I want you to consider whether or not it might be a lie. Now, like, definitely, definitely big ideas. Having big ideas plus determination and perseverance can can lead to accomplishing significant things in life. Like, I'm not trying to say that. I'm not trying to crush your dreams. I'm not trying to, like, join that little voice in your head that says you can't do anything. Like, I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to bring us into a reality. Into a reality that maybe that message isn't entirely Healthy. In fact, I heard uh, one kind of cultural anthropologist talking about uh, this this dynamic, and, and he talked about going into bookstores and at bookstores in the self-help section, he would he would kind of lump the books into two different categories. One are the types of books that say you can do anything, and essentially what they're doing is they're they're putting the bar of what you're capable of above you and saying you can do more, you can do more, you can do more, you can do anything. And the other category of books are books that are helping you cope with the self esteem issues when you don't. Like, uh, like, I can't do it, I'm failing, and I'm, you know, and and that's kind of like the dynamic that we, that we actually experience in, in our culture around us. This, this sense of like, I can do anything, I can do anything, I can do anything, but then we run up against the reality of our inadequacy, of our inability to do all the things that we think we ought to be doing. And what I want us to consider is that in God's Word, What we learn about the path to freedom is that the path to freedom ironically involves surrender. It involves surrender. That that as we consider what it means to, to be free, what it means to experience life, what it means to flourish, that it's not as much work, work, work. The Bible gives us a different path, and it involves surrender. In fact, the heart of this passage today, which is really the kind of the pinnacle of the Exodus, it is the Exodus proper. This is the getting out of Egypt section of Exodus. We're at like the the peak of our journey, of our hike through this story. The the core of this message is that true freedom is found when we surrender to the power and the love of God. True freedom is found when we surrender to the power of, And the love of God. And so as we look at this passage, there are so many things to be seen. In fact, it could be said that this passage in Exodus kind of sets the basic framework through which we're supposed to understand salvation. If you attach it to what we looked at last week with the Passover and the shedding of the blood of the Passover lamb, that through this, this blood that has been shed by this Passover lamb, this blood that was painted on this this doorpost and this lintel that, that actually cleansed the people and actually allowed the Lord himself to provide pr- protection and atonement and forgiveness, that the people would be delivered from judgment, that passage leading into this passage of the crossing through the Red Sea, Um, kind of creates for us a paradigm or a framework through which we're supposed to understand what it means to know God, what it means to experience deliverance and freedom in life in His presence. And so we're going to talk about that this morning and really in three sections from this passage. And you could, if you want some like tags for it, we're going to talk about out of Egypt, through the waters, into life. What it means to get out of Egypt, what it means to go through the waters, and what it means to enter into life. And so if if you close your Bible, I want you to keep it open. And we're going to look um, first at what it means to come out of Egypt. In particular, when we're talking about coming out of Egypt, we're talking about surrendering your idols. Surrendering your idols. I want you to keep your Bible open. We're going to actually uh, start in verse 5, and then we're going to look at a couple other sections here from chapter 14. But I want you to look at this again. This is the people of God who had been in captivity to the Egyptians. They had been in bondage for 400 years, really, by the time they leave, 430 years in bondage in Egypt. They're experiencing oppression. They're experiencing affliction. They're experiencing pain and brokenness. As we've looked at week after week, not just outside of them from the Egyptians, but they've also found themselves assimilating to the idols or the gods of Egypt. They found themselves not, not worshiping their God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but they found themselves actually kind of incorporating the value system of Egypt of this broken kingdom separated from God and trying to create a life apart from God just like the Egyptians around them. That they're experiencing a brokenness outside and a brokenness inside from which they've needed to be delivered. That they're begging for God to deliver them. And so God, through what we looked at last week, brings these incredible acts of judgment. Ten plagues culminating in this very devastating plague. The death of the firstborn sons in all of the land of Egypt. And the... Israelites, like we looked at last week, were as worthy of that judgment as the Egyptians. Their only uh, entrance or access to mercy wasn't through their superiority, but it was through the blood of the Lamb. It was through the sacrifice of a substitute, a, a substitutionary sacrifice through which they could be spared from the judgment that they deserved, cleansed for the presence of God, and prepared to enter into his presence. And so it's from that passage that they then leave Egypt. And they're on their way out of Egypt. And look at what happens in verse 5. Now when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this that we have done? That we have let Israel go from serving us? Saying, "What do we do? We had this kingdom where we had power, we had glory, uh, we had uh, the ability to create our own life and create our own city and create our own civilization apart from this Yahweh, whoever he is, and we are committed to that. And now we've let the people go, and he's kind of forgetting why he let the people go, which he's been forgetting." Time after time, plague after plague, as he continues to harden his heart. And yet again, we see that this hardening of his heart is inside the plan of God to show the power of his judgment that the Egyptians would know that he is the Lord. And verse 6. So he made ready his chariot, and he took his army with him, and he took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. He took his strongest army, his greatest power, and verse 8, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. We looked at that a few weeks ago. The Lord is in total control here. This is according to the plan of God. There's something that God wants us to see in his design of the events of the Exodus. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and he overtook them and he had camped camped at the sea. Uh, What's happening in this passage is even after the people have experienced this deliverance, even after they've experienced this redemption, which is to be purchased out of slavery, and the cost was the blood of the lamb, after they've experienced this redemption, even so, the Egyptians are still committed to pursuing them. That this kingdom of darkness, this kingdom of brokenness, isn't content like, oh, fine, finally go and be free. There, there's actually a commitment, there's a desire by the powers of darkness to pursue the people and not let them go. It's an external power, an external pressure to get people to return to Egypt, okay? And you understand that. You've experienced that, that there are powers outside of us, there are powers of darkness that aren't like, oh, they trusted in Jesus. I guess we'll just let them go. But there are actually powers of darkness that make their way not just through spiritual forces, but through those spiritual forces at play in society where there are cultural um, kind of callings that are beckoning people to return back to trying to build a life apart from the presence of God. We've talked about this week after week after week that this kingdom of darkness is kind of governed by or is saturated with this desire to build your life To build significance, to build value, to find love, to find security, to find rest, to find joy. Not with God, not in God's presence, but in creation with the things we can accomplish by our own power. And there are kind of voices and messages all around you. Whether it's family and friends, whether it's cultural marketing or the different things that are kind of like telling you where value is to be found around you. That are beckoning you, that are calling you back into Egypt, back into bondage back into that life where we're kind of like we talked about last week, spinning on this hamster wheel faster and faster and faster. We're climbing this mountain higher and harder, and it gets more and more challenging, and we find out that we're exhausted and experiencing destruction, and we finally remember that there's freedom in Christ, and we finally learn that it's free and it doesn't require work, and so you come to the fountain of life, which is just right there, and yet the call is like, no, look over here. Look at this This society, look at these people that have the things that your heart wants. Look at this way of living and it's calling you back. Where do you feel that call? Where do you feel that external pressure, that voice that's saying, come back to Egypt, come back to bondage, come back to destruction? There's an external pressure to return to Egypt, but there's also an internal pressure. Look at verse 10. This is a stunning passage to me But it kind of sets the tone of what's going to happen again and again and again. And when I say it's stunning, it is for a moment until I realize how real this is in my own heart. Look at verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, it's because there are no graves in Egypt. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to bring us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you while we were in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Well, no, that's not what you said. While you were in Egypt, you were desperate for deliverance. You were crying out for deliverance. And yet once things get circumstantially hard, once the path to joy includes some difficult turns and some disappointing valleys, quickly their heart is to say, let's go back to Egypt. Let's just go back there. At least there we weren't going to die. Look at what it says. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now, it's revealing some significant things in their heart. Number one, they're they're not trusting in the fact that the Lord is leading them to life. The fact that the path to life has just taken another disappointing turn, or a turn that doesn't make sense to them, immediately to them equaled, we can't trust God's promise. We can't trust that he's bringing us into this covenant relationship. We can't trust the promise that he's been giving us generation after generation after generation. Number two, it reveals that their desire is not for God, their desire is for an improved situation, which I think is an incredibly piercing insight into our own hearts. That sometimes we want to use God to improve our situation, we don't want God. Like we want God to help our life be a little bit better. But if it doesn't get a little bit better, then we can abandon God for anything that will help our life get a little bit better. And we circle back to Egypt. It's in our hearts. Where do you feel that? Where do you feel that? Where do you feel these desires that are outside of you or inside of you that are calling you again and again and again to try to build a life away from God? Now we've, we've been talking about this a lot throughout this series and we're going to kind of highlight it again in the second half of Exodus when we start seeing the, the heart of the people even once they get out of Egypt, the heart of the people to turn back to false gods. But I want to I maybe give you a tool, a tool to help you understand like what is that for my heart? And the tool is just to, to trace your emotions, to trace your emotions. Emotions are a gift, they're, they're good, they're natural. So we have love, we have sadness, we have anger, we have fear. And those emotions can be pointers to our idols. Because love is this ultimate desire. Love comes from a position of desire. And so many things are attached to that love. When that thing that we desire is lost, now we feel sadness. Now we feel sadness. When that thing that we desire is being threatened, now we feel fear. Or we feel this anxiety when it feels insecure. Or When that thing that that we love has been taken by another, now we feel anger. Right? And so when we feel these emotions, in particular kind of controlling emotions, not just kind of ordinary emotions, but controlling emotions that are governing everything about us, let those be for you a pointer to the things that you're looking to for life, the things that you think will give you life. Often it might be something about acceptance or it might be something about control. Maybe stuff has happened in your life that you feel insecure and you feel out of control. So your whole life is kind of aimed at reestablishing your sense of control. And if your sense of control is, is threatened then you're going to get angry. If, you're, if your control is lost, you're going to be devastated. If your control is, is, is in any way kind of like being taken from you, you're going to respond with fear and anxiety. And in that kind of like moment, you're seeing, what is this craving that I have? This craving for control or it's love or it's acceptance or it's glory. Like what you want is just admiration from people. You don't even care if they love you or not. You want to be admired. And these things govern us. And when we see our emotions rise up, it doesn't mean necessarily that these are like all bad things we're desiring, but it means that they've taken a place of worship. And God is in the business of setting us free. And so the question I want to ask you as we consider this this morning is what are those idols for you? What are the things that are capturing your heart? And do you want to be free? Do you want to be free? Like we have to slow down and say, where is my heart entrapped? Where am I in bondage? And do I want freedom or will I continue to work hard in Egypt for that which will never satisfy? And it will lead to destruction, it will lead to pain, it will lead to loss. Do you want to be free? And the path to freedom is going to involve surrender. And that's what we're going to see in this second section as they go through the waters. They're going to go through the waters. And in this path through the waters, the way the Lord has kind of made this whole experience of redemption is through this experience of surrendering to his power. It's surrendering to his power. That through the water's path is a surrendering to the power of God. Look with me, actually, we're going to go up to chapter 13. Look at verse 17 and 18. Here's what it says. It says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Now, here's what's happening. If, if you think about Egypt kind of on the southern side or on the kind of the north side of Africa, northeast Africa, you think about the Mediterranean Sea, the land that God's promised them is, is northeast of them. It's going to be going along the Red Sea through this land called Canaan. That's where they're headed towards. That's the land that the Lord promised. That's where the Lord's kingdom would be built. And he had promised that land. But the Lord says... I, This land is full of warfare. And if they go there and they immediately see warfare, they might turn back to Egypt. So I've got a better idea. I'm going to lead them headfirst towards a massive body of water. And you can just like imagine the people of Israel like, okay, we're not going to the Canaanites or we're not going to kind of have these battles good. And, And they're kind of like walking and they're like, are we? You know, maybe they didn't have great maps, but at some point they're seeing this big body of water and they're a little bit confused. This isn't the way to the land that God promised. This isn't way, the way to the land that was flowing with milk and honey. This is to the wilderness. And now the sea, why would the Lord lead them to the sea? There's a couple of reasons, and he explains it, and we can see it right there in the text. So I want you to look again at chapter 14. We're going to look down at verse 1 through 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and to encamp in front of, and he lists these cities, phi heroeth, between Migdol and the sea in front of Baal Zephon, and you shall encamp facing it by the sea. And it's very clear, like Moses in writing this is like, I want you guys to know we are up against the sea. For Pharaoh will say, this is the reason, for Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, all his army. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. So why has the Lord led them to the sea? Because the sea actually represents an impassable boundary. Something that they couldn't get through. In fact, do you know how many times the word bridge is listed in the Bible, is used in the Bible? Zero. Zero times. The bodies of water were kind of representative of these impassable borders, these impassable boundaries, these places that people could not get through especially a massive body of water like the Red Sea. And so the Lord leads them right into it to do two things. One, to show his power, his power, that their deliverance would be dependent not on their own achievement, not on their own effort, but on his power and his power alone. And two, to show them and to remind them that it's not their power, that they don't have the power to deliver themselves. They don't have that power The Lord leads them to this dead end. And and look at verse 13 at what happens. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. He will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. They came out equipped for battle. And he says, you're not going to need your weapons. The Lord will fight for you. He will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. You should underline it, highlight it, circle it, whatever you can do to say it. Like even if it's a pew Bible, highlight that thing. (laughs) You have only to be silent, to be still and behold, the power of your God, that we cannot liberate ourselves. We, we cannot kind of break the chains of our own bondage and the things that capture our heart and govern our heart and tug at our heart. We cannot break those chains. There's not power in your name. There's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. And the design of the Lord in this story is to show that the path to deliverance is surrendering your power and trusting in his power. That the way into Christianity is to say, I cannot achieve this on my own. I cannot build a life. I cannot build joy. I cannot find acceptance. I cannot find security in my own strength. I can't do it. I've been trying and trying and trying. And now I'm exhausted and broken. And I'm finally admitting I am inadequate. I am insufficient. I'm incapable of saving myself. Therefore, I need a deliverer. I need a savior. I need a redeemer. I need another one outside of me with more power than I have to actually rescue me and to lead me to life. That is the way into Christianity. It's to surrender. It's to surrender your striving, to surrender your effort, and to fall on your knees and say, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you every hour. I need you. I cannot do this on my own. I need salvation. But it's not just the way in. It's the whole path. Surrendering your power is the path. It is Christianity. It's not saying, thank you for delivering me then. Now give me some tools and resources to do it on my own. Like little kids, we keep coming back to this place of like, I can do it all by myself. I can do it all by myself. No, you can't. And so the Lord continues to bring these impassable boundaries into our life. There's one Christian psychologist named Janet Hagberg who wrote a book called A Critical Journey and talks about what she calls the wall. Guys like Pete Scazzaro talk about the same thing, this, this wall, this place of like when we're feeling our inability to keep achieving and accomplishing and growing and advancing our life and improving our life and we finally kind of run up against the edge of our capacity, the edge of our ability, the edge of our strength and we cannot get past this thing. We, we cannot make this thing happen and we finally feel this like absolute dependence, this brokenness and we've hit the wall. We've hit the Red Sea. Not just for the first time, but we've hit it again. And the Lord has designed it. He has designed it to teach you to trust in his power. Like I'm desperate for a relationship. I'm desperate for love and, and I'm not getting the relationship that I long for. And I'm desperate for career advancement. I'm desperate for financial security. And I'm desperate to be healed physically. And I'm desperate for these things and, and, and I cannot achieve it on my own. It might be because the way that we're trying to achieve it is through our own power in created things. And the Lord brings us to the Red Sea of surrender. He brings us to this place of, I cannot do this. And it's possible that as he opens up and parts that sea with his power, that the other side of the sea is not what you expect it to be, which is why it requires surrender. Because it's possible that love isn't found in a new boyfriend or girlfriend. It's not found in marriage, or it's not found in the career advancement, or it's not found in financial security, and it's not, it's not found in like the things you can achieve. It's found in his presence. And so is it possible that the Lord has led you against a new wall? That there's a Red Sea and it's not like, oh Lord, part the sea and give me the relationship that I always longed for. He can do it. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Like get whatever I want through him who strengthens me. That's not what that's talking about. It's surrender. Because everything you want is in him. Everything you want is found with him. And that's what he's teaching the people of Israel and it's what he will continue to teach them throughout their whole journey through the wilderness. He's teaching them of his power. And so the question I have for you is where are you hitting the wall? Where are you hitting the wall? Where where is that... Red Sea, and maybe for you it's the the first time ever. You have continued to pursue your life and try to build your life, and you've been running hard. You you moved to Denver, Colorado. You got the job that you wanted when it's like not worked out, so you got two or three new jobs since then, and you keep trying because maybe it's like a new job will do it. Or maybe it's a relationship now, and maybe it's just sexual activity, and maybe it's weed, and maybe it's what is it? Maybe it's just family. Maybe if you can just establish a family, maybe you need to settle down. Maybe you need to go back to the Midwest where you moved from, you know? Maybe the Lord has brought you up against a wall to teach you that it's him. It is him. It is him that you need. And the Lord taught that to the Israelites. They were afraid And the Lord says to Moses, why are you crying out? Why are you complaining? Why are you turning back? Tell the people of Israel, go forward. And then this epic scene of the Lord calling Moses to hold the staff over the water. And the waters part. And the people of Israel walk through on dry ground. Seeing the power of God. Some of them with really strong faith and awe and worship. Some of them probably terrified that the waters were going to collapse on them. But nonetheless, beholding the power of God. Beholding the fact that their deliverance is not by what they could achieve, nor by the strength of their faith, but by the power of God. And the Lord leads them through the wilderness and he leads them or through the sea and into this place of his presence, into the place of the wilderness where he's longing to meet with him, to longing to meet with his people. In fact, in, in Exodus 4.21, what the Lord says is, let my people go, let my son go. Let my son go, that they may worship me, that he may worship me. He's actually calling the people of Israel his child. And he's calling his child Israel through the waters into his presence where they get to experience covenant love, a love of God for them, that they get to experience the beauty of, of living in the presence of a God, of a father who loves them, who has power for them. Through the waters into this place of love where God welcomes Israel, his firstborn son, he says, into his presence. And it's that paradigm that we see what God's doing in all of it, that he's not just liberating us from bondage, he's actually bringing us into life, into new life. In fact, the New Testament will call it a new birth. And that's what this through the waters represents. You see, waters don't just represent these impassable boundaries. They also have this powerful theme all throughout the story. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you see God create life out of the waters. That He divides the waters above from the waters below, and then He divides the waters on the earth, and He brings out this kingdom, out this, this place where His people live in His presence. And He's part of the waters to create the world. And in rebellion against Him, people, people reject His reign, and they start trying to build life on their own. And so the flood of Genesis 6, 7, 8 covers the people back over under the waters of judgment. But the Lord shows his mercy, he shows his salvation by saving a family, a man named Noah. And Noah and his family are on this ark of God's salvation, this ark of God's grace. And yet again, the waters part and land emerges and a whole new creation begins, a whole new life. And this theme begins to emerge that the waters bring judgment and chaos and death, but God brings life out of the waters, He brings flourishing creation out of the waters. And so when Israel is parting through the waters and they're coming through the waters and there are these huge walls on either side of them and they come out on the other side and then the Egyptians follow them through the waters and the waters collapse over the Egyptians bringing the judgment of God. But the people of Israel have been spared, not because they were better than the Egyptians, but because they had been redeemed by the blood of a lamb. Because their debt had been paid, because their sin and their rebellion, they've they've experienced judgment put on another. And all of this is beginning to show us what this salvation is all about, that through Jesus Christ and through Christ alone, we get to experience this deliverance from judgment. In fact, when Jesus comes on the scene, he's baptized. As he comes up out of the waters, the Spirit of God comes down on him like a dove, like resembling and kind of beckoning your mind to remember the creation where the Spirit of God hovered over the waters to bring life. And the Spirit comes down on on him like a dove, and the Lord says over him, the Father, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is the new creation in Christ. He is the beginning of all things new. There's no way to life. There's no way to joy. There's no way to pleasure. There's no way to security. There's no way to rest except for through Christ. And trusting in him, not in your power, but when he's done for you. Because those waters of judgment that he came out of in his baptism closed back over him on the cross. And he experienced the judgment of God that you and I deserved, where he was buried in death. And yet again comes out of death, out of the grave, out of the waters, beginning this whole new creation so that whoever comes to him could experience life and joy and peace in the presence of God, could be delivered from the bondage of sin, delivered from the chains, rescued from that dominion of darkness and transferred into the dominion, the kingdom of God's beloved son. And we trust in him. We go into the waters of baptism and his judgment is for us. And we come out of the waters and his life, his new creation life, his resurrection power is given to us his spirit comes upon us and god's declaration over you is behold my beloved son my beloved daughter in whom i am so pleased that i love you and i'm with you and i'm for you and i'm not against you and there's no condemnation for you there's forgiveness and grace and cleansing in my presence because of the blood of the lamb This is the path to freedom. It is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And it's not just once when you come to Christ. It is again and again and again surrendering our rebellion, surrendering to his power, and then surrendering to his love. And that's where freedom is found. Like Dr. King said at the end of his I Have a Dream speech, the people of Israel would cry out, and we'll see this next week, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty I'm free at last. Let's pray. Jesus, we we need you now. I just can't help but feeling just the weight of the fact that many in this room including my own heart We are so prone to return to Egypt that we we feel situations getting challenging and so we go back to try and build, build our life on our own. There are some in this room who have never known you, have spent their lives, maybe decades, decades upon decades, even using things like religion to try to build this life by their effort, by their power. And I pray, God, you would help us to be a people that would fall on our knees and surrender. I cannot do this. I cannot save myself. I cannot free myself. I cannot rid myself of the guilt and the shame. I can't, I can't create life and security and love. And that we would be a people that would turn to you, that we would trust in you and your power and your love and the joy that we find in your presence. Would you, Holy Spirit, pursue people powerfully right now? Pursue people powerfully right now. Friends, some of you need to hear the voice of God saying, Son, daughter, stop running from me. Surrender to my love. Turn from the idolatries. Experience my grace. I want to encourage you, if if you feel that, like you've just been running and running and running, just to acknowledge before God, God, I want to surrender. I want to surrender. I know it's hard. I know it's really hard. My heart my heart is in that battle often. But just to say to him, I want to surrender. And maybe some here who have never known him, think about hearing, maybe, maybe this news that there's a path to life and to joy and to love that doesn't involve your striving and your effort. Maybe that feels to you like good news today. And that's the power of God on you, which is beautiful that you would say to him, Lord, I surrender. I surrender my, my running away from you. I want you. I want to know you. And so, God, would you speak life? Would you speak healing? Would you speak redemption? Would you break chains this morning? Would you shatter the voices of the things outside of us and the desires of the things inside of us that would call us away from you? Would you draw people through the waters into life today, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.